Welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. I'm Darby Toth, a Technical Field Services Representative with Western United Dairies. And I'm Melissa Lima, your North Coast and Organic Field Services Rep. And after almost a month of solo performances and a quick week of vacation, we are back, Darby. Good to see you almost in person over Zoom, I guess. Good to see you too. I was actually giving the little introduction and I was like, wow. I haven't said this in a while and I really hope I don't mess it up. I know I've kind of missed it. It's, it's been a crazy couple of months between vacation times for different folks um, at the company. And um, I had this huge deadline the last couple of weeks. And then we, as a team, um, we talked with Anya and everybody and just decided last week, it was easiest for everybody to go dark so that everyone could enjoy the holidays. So we hope everyone had a great 4th of July um, and had a nice relaxing few weeks of summer so far. We're moving into today's episode with a little bit of heavy, heavy stuff, Darby. Uh, first and foremost, I'm sitting here in the fog, but you definitely are not. The Central Valley is having a hot week and weekend. Yeah, it's going to be, as anybody who lives here knows, it's forecasted to be in the 114, 115s. I was just talking to one of my members yesterday and he's like, I hope it's like last time where they overshot it a little bit, but regardless, it is going to be hot. Yes. And so for those Western members that are listening, you received a heat advisory update from us. Thankfully, um, CDQAP, the Dairy Quality Assurance Program, and Dr. Payne put together a really wonderful wealth of resources on what to do for various issues that may come up with heat-related problems on the dairy. Um, We can send that out to anyone that needs it. Just let us know. Um, But first and foremost, um, one big thing we're really talking about is rendering. This is the time of year where we seem to see some disruptions in our rendering capacity. And sadly, this is also the time of year where cattle um, sometimes succumb to the heat-related issues, especially we're looking at some nights that are not going to cool down very far. So it's a little harder on them for recovery. So should you have an issue, there is a hotline available, please call Darby or I. And we know it's the weekend, but we're here um, and the office has has an answering service as well. So if you need something and it's an emergency, don't hesitate to reach out. Please stay cool out there. Please drink lots of water and just call us with questions. Yep, and, and that I goes second for you that. too, Darby. <laughs> I'm going to try and sneak away on Saturday up to the foothills to camp a little bit. So I'm hoping we get out of it a tiny bit, but it's still going to be warm everywhere. And so far, rendering has been pretty good. We haven't had any disruptions down here this week, but with this weekend coming up, who knows what's going to happen. So again, reach out to either of us or the office um, if you're experiencing any of those rendering disruptions. Absolutely. And and with that, we'll move into our episode. We have a really great episode chuck full of updates today because we've missed a couple of weeks. But uh, first and foremost, Tiffany brings us a market update. Lots to talk about in the dairy markets this week. Anya provides us with a quick update on what happened with the QIP referendum, the quota implementation plan. I'm sure everyone has heard by now, but just in case, she's going to provide some extra detail. And then we're going to um, rerun the meet and greet we held yesterday with Aubrey Bentoncourt, who is our awesome new director of dairy sustainability for California, funded through a partnership with the California Cattle Council. So we're excited to hear a little bit more from Aubrey. Yep. And with that, let's jump right into the episode. Hi, folks. Hope you had a great week. We had some uh, dueling dynamics in the dairy markets. Uh, We started the week out with a global dairy trade that was pretty disappointing. Um, Almost all commodities fell with powders taking a pretty big hit. 
Uh, the skim milk powder contract fell almost 7% down to $1.42, and whole milk powder uh, suffered a little over a 3% decline to $1.75. Um, skim milk powder purchases um, by the Middle East saw some pretty significant declines, um, but Central America and Africa did step up their whole milk powder volumes. Um, the cheddar prices also on the auction fell pretty significantly, uh, down almost 9% to $1.79, as well as butter down to $1.63. Again, those were on the global dairy trade um, event on Tuesday. Moving over to our domestic markets, however, we um, thankfully saw some uh, rebound in our cheese markets. We saw quite a bit fewer loads come to Chicago, um, kind of reflecting a little bit tighter conditions out in the countryside, a little uh, unclear exactly how it's all working, uh, but recall the shortage of uh, boxes to manufacture 640-pound block cheddar in. Um, it means that some cut wrap operators are apparently looking to blocks to fill the gap of that product availability. And so it's put a few more buyers looking for product and certainly less sellers coming to the exchange. So we actually saw blocks gain 17 cents on the week up to $1.7250 and barrels up 8 cents to $1.58. Their summer is heating up. It's normal across the countryside. Um, we have yet to see very um, large or sizable declines in milk production. Probably the Pacific Northwest was the only area that we are have heard so far of material declines. USDA has a report uh, spot milk prices out of the Midwest are show, still showing milk available for $5 under class in the region. So plenty of cheap milk available to manufacturers. Butter took a bit of a hit this week uh, here in the U.S. Um, I think on the back of the lower GDT, we're also seeing a little bit more supply and also a seasonal lull in uh, domestic butter demand. We saw butter fall to $1.62, I'm sorry, $1.6750 this week. Retail sales are still up a bit on a year two year a two-year basis up five percent but we're seeing a little bit less robust sales as i think people are heading out to eat a little bit more over in non-fat dry milk uh the the lackluster gdt definitely weighed on our spot milk prices we fell um pretty low midweek we did rebound a little bit by friday so we closed the week at a dollar 25. Supplies still remain pretty ample um, while we are hearing demand both domestically and abroad is a little bit quiet right now. Um, and certainly uh, buyers in Mexico remain on the um, sidelines and we're seeing business in the Southeast Asia also a little bit slow. Way also took a bit of a, a hit this week in the market. Seems like expanding inventories are weighing a little bit on prices in Chicago. And we are hearing of continuing logistics issues, um, hobbling our ability to export product. Finally, in the grain market, still very weather driven. Um, thankfully, rain and cooler temperatures, along with a little softer demand out of China, drove both corn and soybean prices lower um, for the week. So um, heads up on that, certainly something to keep a very close eye on as we head through um, the, the main growing season here. Uh, for the week ending July 4th, USDA um, 
pegged 64% of the corn crop in good or excellent condition. So that was about the same as, as last week, though down from 71% last year. Hope you all have a wonderful weekend. Please feel to, uh, free to reach out at any time. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pge.com safety. This is Anya Radabaugh, CEO of Western United Dairies, and I'm here to provide a summary of the results of the referendum to sunset the quota implementation plan and equalize the regional quota adjusters across the state. In summary, the referendum failed, and efforts to amend the QIP did not pass. The plan to change the QIP, often referred to as the Sunset Plan, was a plan developed in a grassroots setting of the dairy industry and included the sunset or termination of the quota program in March of 2025, and immediate equalization of the RQAs, or Regional Quota Adjusters, to a single rate of $1.43 per hundredweight. The concept behind the proposal, offered by United Dairy Families of California, was one of compromise. As the federal order pricing system began to highlight the quota premium payments to farmers on their milk checks across the state, regional hostilities, coupled with heated rhetoric, begged for a solution. The equalization of the RQAs was an additional proposal offered through a polled selection of the industry that would have given those who do not hold quota some money back while the sunset period commenced. The extremely close result of the referendum, which failed and thus will maintain the quota program exactly as it has been since our state dairy industry entered the federal order, demonstrate that the intra-industry divide is alive and well and that farmers cut through the rhetoric and voted the way their finances most directly benefited from either keeping or eliminating the quota program. In order to change the law governing quota, two major thresholds had to be achieved to qualify a referendum as passed. First, an absolute majority threshold, or not less than 51% of the total number of eligible producers must vote. In this case, there were 933 eligible producers at the start of the referendum. Of those, 733 cast valid votes. That is, votes where the criteria of ownership and milk volume were verifiable by CDFA. Therefore, the first threshold of an absolute majority was hit. However, the second threshold is where the Food and Ag Code governing dairy has always been the stickiest part of changing the law. The second threshold requires a double volumetric threshold of milk production be met before the law could be changed. Of those producers who cast valid votes, 65% or more must produce 51% of the milk. Inversely, 51% of those who cast valid votes must produce 65% or more of the milk. In this case, neither volumetric limit was achieved to pass the referendum, resulting in the referendum's ultimate failure. If your head is spinning, now is probably a good time to stop and fast forward to some of our other good features on the podcast, with the knowledge that the quota program in California will remain as it has for the foreseeable future. But if you're itching to hear some additional dairy trivia and volumetric breakdowns, listen on. Participation in this referendum was, for California standards, off the charts. 
coming in at a chart-topping 78.56% participation. This was the highest participation rate in the history of dairy referendums. The previous record was held when the dairy industry voted in 2018 in favor of the California Cattle Council, a whopping 68% participation at that time. Out of 933 producers, 733 cast valid votes. I emphasized the word valid quite a bit to this point. It is possible more votes were cast, and due to inaccurate information provided, votes may have been disqualified. This information is held by CDFA and is confidential to protect those voting. If you'd like to see a list of what could have disqualified a ballot, that information is on both the WUD and CDFA website. Of that 78.56% ballot participation rate, nearly 3.1 billion pounds of milk was represented. To break this information down further for those who enjoy the seedy underbelly of California dairy chemistry, we now look at a breakdown of those voting in favor to sunset and change the quota program versus those who would oppose the changes and wanted to keep the program as it stands today. 361 producers voted to sunset the quota program, or of those voting, that represents 49.25%. This also represented 1.688 billion pounds of product, yielding a total of 54.47% of representation of that milk production. 372 producers voted to keep the quota program as is, or representing 50.75% of those voting. This figure represents 1.411 billion pounds of product, yielding a total of 45.53% of representation of milk production. Again, this production is of those voting, not total state milk production. Because both elements of the volumetric criteria must be satisfied, these numbers didn't hit the mark to pass the, the referendum. Of those voting in favor, or to sunset the quota program, the initial turnout on volume exceeded the 51% threshold by 3.47%. However, 65% of eligible producers were required in this category to make that cut, and this did not hit the mark with a 15 0.75% deficit. Additionally, only 49.25% of the eligible producers voted in favor, which fell short of the 51% threshold by 1.75%. Finally, the amount of milk produced by those voting in favor to sunset the program was only 54.47%, where a 65% threshold was required. This was a very close vote. It could be said that a higher turnout, despite the historic record set, could have nudged the vote further towards sunset approval. It is likely that the potentially disqualified votes will be called into question by those seeking to end the quota program. Western United Dairies does not have a position on the results of this referendum. We hope for now everyone can put away their knives for a time being and help focus our energy on the many challenges we all as an industry mutually face to farm in this state. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. 
As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. This is a, a program that's it's partly sponsored by the California Cattle Council, and it's a, a great opportunity to be able to provide additional resources and staff services for dairy producers across the state. And so one of the things that I, I wanted to make sure was clear, uh, given the fact that we've got uh, multiple organizations and entities out there, our partnership uh, with Western United Dairies and in, in, in serving this contract certainly does not prohibit uh, any dairy producer in the state from seeking these services. And, and I know Western and, and Aubrey are well aware of that. And so uh, it's our commitment to continue to maintain a level of, of transparency and uh, certainly uh, want to ensure that that this program is effective um, and Aubrey services are well uh, received and, 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 and well um, used moving forward. So that being said, again, I just want to thank Anya and Aubrey for putting this on today. Uh, and, um, you know, certainly they'll be, they'll be implementing uh, the part of the program. Uh, but again, we encourage uh, all dairy producers uh, to take advantage of, of, of the additional services that are being made available through uh, through Aubrey, and uh, we hope to uh, see this program as successful as we uh, review it uh, over the next uh, year or so. So anyways, thank you very much, and uh, I'll turn it back to you, Ani. appreciate it. Thanks, Justin. Really appreciate it. Um, so when Western and CCA started looking at the position for sustainability, we always hovered around the area of water, and this is a year that that, that conversation really kind of came to a fever pitch, and so Developing plans and coordination efforts around watersheds is something that we thought the industry could always use some more technical support services in. And so I've known Aubrey for a number of years. I've worked really closely with her. Um, I think most folks on the call have worked with Aubrey throughout her tenure, either at the FSA under USDA Rural Development. Um, she's been pretty influential in services and spaces around um, federal regulations and policies. And so I thought of no better person to bring on board to help farmers get through not just a disastrous period of drought, but also a time where they really need money to implement different technologies and different solutions to water savings. And so that said, Aubrey's committed to work to, on behalf of all dairy farmers across the state. So we're very excited um, that we could bring this level of talent into this space and hopefully be able to maximize the technical resources available to farmers, not just now, but for future planning. And so with that, I will turn it over to Aubrey. I don't wanna repeat everything that we've said in our updates. This is being recorded. So if you um, have a producer or someone that maybe wasn't able to join today, this will be aired on our podcast this weekend and we will make the recording available on our website as well. Aubrey, the floor is yours. Uh, thank you, Justin. Thank you, uh, Anya, for the opportunity. And thanks, everyone, for getting online um, uh, for these calls. Uh, hopefully, uh, in fact, I'm going to just commit right now, this won't be the last. Um, so much of what this position is, and the reason I was um, very happy to um, come on board, uh, is the foundational understanding that this is really a position that acts as a nexus between the on-farm 
realities that we all deal with and the policies and programs and regulations that affect us in so many ways. And what I see the position in my role uh, that, that I can help contribute through contributing all of my experience and background uh, is providing that kind of reverse engineering and acting in that space uh, to help inform what works and what doesn't, um, to help identify what, uh, what, what our goals um, are within the, uh, to really identify that which works on the ground and that which works in theory and to try to act as that bridge in, in between with a specific focus on water. Um, we're in a, you know, I don't have to remind anyone of the critical space that we're in right now, but is, is as hard as it is to identify the problems and challenges that we have on the ground. And as a farmer, um, I know them at firsthand. I know the reality of laying people off, of wells going dry, of plowing under my fields halfway through a year. And yet we are at this critical pivotal, this critical moment where we have an opportunity to define what that looks like going forward. And that really is the scope of this position is how can we take a step and focus specifically within the water space on defining what future we want. Um, and and as, as clearly as we can define it, we can then harness our resources and work together to uh, I think really be effective in achieving what I consider sustainability, which is the economic viability to achieve environmental goals. And so that is the foundation of everything I'm gonna look at, everything I do through. Uh, it's, been, it's been my, my my challenge coming on board was immediately to say, okay, what, what is sustainability? It is such a buzzword and I'm not in the mood to virtue signal and check a box. I'm in the mood to actually achieve these goals. And I know that that is where industry is. I know the progress that uh, dairy in California and I'm an unapologetic California farm girl. So I'm always gonna come out there and say that we are the best at what we do. And I think it's about positioning the industry in the space, uh, in the water space to contribute its incredible resources to being a part of that comprehensive solution so that it works for our industry and our sector as well as it does um, uh, for the environment itself. And so through kind of the bumper sticker on that is, is I'm looking at this, not how uh, we can make the water world fit necessarily to dairy, but also how, how dairy can contribute within the water world. And, and contribute its, its leadership, contribute its resources, contribute its knowledge in order to help create that definition that works for us. Because again, we will not achieve the environmental goals uh, or have any voice in achieving what they are or identifying what they are um, uh, unless we are in that position to do so. And so, so bringing it kind of back around, I, I've kind of boiled this down into three technical aspects where we can, we can help with that. I'm not sure how much any of you actually know my background, but um, Ani has mentioned it. I, I've, uh, I've worked in the water space in California for over 10, 12 years now uh, as director of the California Water Alliance, which was a statewide advocacy and education organization. Um, I also consulted in that space for a long time. Then I went on to be state director for the Farm Service Agency with USDA. So really working that programmatic side of, of federal resources. And then went on as deputy assistant secretary for water and science at the Department of the Interior. Um, working with U.S. Geological Survey, working with the uh, Bureau of Reclamation, but also acting as the executive director of the National Water Policy Coordination Committee, which coordinated EPA, USDA, Army Corps of Engineers, Department of Energy, Department of Commerce, and the Department of the Interior, all with the lion's share of water space and coordinating uh, the, the really the water policy nexus of, of the federal government. 
And so looking at how I can take those resources and do three kind of components is, is where we're starting. One of the first places I want to start, because we're in a drought, we're in a drought and a water shortage, which are two very different things. Um, but they provide us an opportunity to, to do a couple of things for, for our producers. There's really not much you can do in a drought. It's not like a fire you can put out. Um, it's more of a you buckle down and you invest and you survive it. And then you position yourself for resilience in the next. So really getting strong in this space. My first priority right now is to maximize access to services and resources available to our producers and our growers on the ground and our communities on the ground. This is, I think, another tenant here for our sector that I am so happy to hear um, from dairy and, and specifically is this idea that we are not separate from the rural communities in which we live. And so looking to not only be an advocate for ourselves, being an advocate for our communities that we live in and depend on, they depend on us. And so working to maximize these accesses to these resources. So really in that space, what are we looking for? I find that in my experience, I think there's actually a lot of technical services and resources financially available. We just, they're unknown and they're underutilized. One of the greatest things that I've had the experience and privilege of is I know a lot, especially on the federal side, but also on the state side, a number of these resources that are available and excellent experts tracked throughout the state that can help us get creative and how we can individually um, invest in our own operations. And not only, again, not only for immediate survival, but also for long-term investment, which plays into what does a post-sigma world look like and how can we invest in regional watersheds and developing our regional water supplies uh, in a way that, um, uh, again, it contributes to our own economic viability. Uh, so what my goal is in this space, increase grower, producer, and community access to the uh, awareness and understanding of these existing resources, facilitate grower and producer and community access to these financial and technical resources. So this is both on the public and the private sector, working to bring these resources to our producers, to all of us, to all of you. Um, I hate the idea that, you know, funding gets contributed somewhere and we don't know about it and so it's not accessed and so it doesn't get anywhere. Really overly simplified. I want to get dollars on the ground, dollars in your hands, dollars on the resource and on the landscape because that's really going to do the most benefit uh, not only for ourselves but also for our long-range goals for, for water supply uh, and water quality issues and whatever other problems we have. So another part to that too is acting kind of as a hotline. Um, I have absolutely no problem with anybody calling me and saying, I've got an application stuck somewhere, or I've got a program that I can't get through, or I've got a, you know, a, a project that I'm having, you know, I'm struggling with, with some nexus, um, uh, whether it's with your local entities or local government or state or federal, give me a call. Either I know or I know someone who will and we'll figure out a way to get those things unstuck for you. Um, that is That to me is such an important part of this. Not only is it just good customer service, but it's the right thing to do. It is absolutely appalling to me that I'm seeing headlines again saying, you know, towns are running out of water and wells are going out and they're being told, oh yeah, in two years, we'll get to you. That's unacceptable. Uh, and I, I believe we have a critical opportunity to do that, not only for our own community, but our communities around us and contribute our resources to getting that uh, unstuck and just getting action because it's the right thing to do. Uh, so that's a third component to this. And, the, and, and finally, I, I really think this is a great opportunity too, as we go through accessing all these resources, assessing what works and what doesn't, getting your feedback, getting our producers feedback, getting our water uh, partners feedback, of what's working and what's not, and how we can then uh, contribute that information back so that we can better improve these programs and these policies 
um, not only to meet our specific needs, but also uh, looking towards the future of how we need these programs and policies to be effective for our long-term investment in water supply and, uh, and drought resilience uh, going forward. So that's kind of my immediate action. And, and uh, you've probably already seen it go out. One of the first things we've done is we're doing, we're facilitating drought service centers, opening up that access to the experts uh, that we have here in the state um, in order to not only raise awareness on what's available, um, both specifically, but also evergreen, but also looking at um, how you can just build these relationships with these really great professionals who will help us move things through. That's gonna be critical also to, again, how dairy in our sector is contributing to the solution um, and also bridging that gap between on the ground and the resources that are available. So again, it's the primary focus, number one, in, is immediate maximize access to services and resources. That then dovetails into kind of pillar number two for me. Uh, pillar number two is how we then use that to provide technical assistance on policy and program. So just like I said before, we'll get feedback as we go through this and say, hey, this is working, this isn't. Or we need this refined a certain way if it's ever gonna be effective for our water supply goals that we have going forward. So really working uh, now, leveraging that on the ground experience back up a level to the policy and program. Let what's happening on the ground inform what's happening uh, in the policies and regulations and programs that affect us. Uh, so the objective here is to act again as that nexus between the producers on the landscape and these policies and regulations that are affecting us with a specific focus on water supply. Um, a water quality, I would put in that as well. All water is you know, quality, quantity, timing, and distribution. You can't quite differentiate it, but really I'm focused on the supply side of this um, at this point in time. And so working with you know, information on the ground, working with water partners, working with our technical partners and staff uh, to review existing uh, and proposed programs, policies, and regulations, looking at it through the, that lens of effectiveness, that lens of economic viability, and then offering that technical uh, feedback on what works and what doesn't. So much of my journey and what I've learned and been so blessed is to have spent my time knowing how to distribute programs and then worked my way back up on what are the, how to develop those policies and programs. So being able to sit in a room and say, you know what, I'm looking at this and that works in theory and it works on paper, but if you actually wanna hit that goal you've identified, it needs to function like this on the distribution end or it needs to function like this on the landscape. So it's providing that technical assistance on existing and proposed um, policies and programs, and then keying in and identifying opportunities and needs that we need to start leaning forward in, in that space as well, as we start looking through the various lenses of our long-term water supply goals. So for instance, um, the GSAs are all formed uh, and, and the plans are all getting you know, reviewed and approved. It's really about my working with those communities, not necessarily to influence the plan, but say, okay, what is the goal you're trying to achieve in that GSA? And how can, again, how do we bring our resources as dairy to achieving those goals? And then informing the programs and policies that we need in order to achieve them, uh, in order to develop regional water supply, in order to develop uh, localized infrastructure, in order to develop the technologies and, and uh, practices that we need on the ground at an economic viability in order to achieve, and let me rephrase this, I'm gonna repeat it over and over again, when I talk about environmental goals, I talk about identifying achievable environmental goals. And that's gonna be a huge part of this is helping to really do the battle of definitions um, as we do these reviews and provide that feedback and that technical assistance on a lot of these programs and regulations. And that goes for state and federal and local. Um, I think there's a, a unique component, again, working with our, our strategic partners in that space. 
to, to really find uh, incredible opportunities where rubber meets the road. And that's, that's kind of what pillar number two is. And the third section is, is really taking and building off of the incredible work that you all have done um, and that our community and our industry has done. Um, again, you know, we are the best in the world. I'm not gonna apologize for that. I used to get a, I used to have a really bad reputation of pissing off my Midwestern partners and I'd say, I'm sorry, it's really cute. You think your, your GDP and, and farm gate receipts are half of ours. Um, we are the best and we are the most advanced and we hold ourselves to a higher standard. Um, and building off of that and building off of the incredible research uh, and the incredible uh, investment in um, pilots and technologies and information, uh, it's my third kind of pillar here is developing those strategic partnerships again. Um, not only, but again, with that specific focus in the water space, water supply um, specifically and development of water supply, uh, looking for those strategic partnerships, both in the private sector, public sector, nonprofit, uh, identifying gaps of information that we may need um, or technologies we may need. But where I really want to focus is how we move from pilot to practice. There's a lot of great pilot projects out there. How do we get them bumped over into being a, a general practice? And in order for that to work, it has to, again, be economically viable. Um, and then how do we make sure that we have a regulatory and policy environment that uh, encourages or allows for us to do these things, facilitates our doing these things, quite frankly, incentivizes us to do these things. And then also, and, and make sure that we are getting the credit that goes with that and bringing that back down to the landscape for us to actually be able to do it. And so it's these three pillars, the maximizing resources on the ground, the, the providing the technical understanding and assessment uh, on policies and programs, and then bringing that up to the, the strategic partnerships and, and investment in research and, and not just research, but kind of pivoting from pilot to program brings us back down to the ground level again. So these three pillars of focus really are, um, uh, it's, a, it's a nexus position. It's a position that requires a lot of great communication, a lot of great relationships, um, relationships that I'm, I bring my own to the table, but more importantly, relationships I need from all of you. Um, the best way I can describe coming on board and what I think has been so brilliant and why I was so um, excited to be a part of this is it, it, it's, it, it selfishly feeds my need to want to help my community. Um, I'm sitting in Hanford on the farm that my great-grandfather built. Um, and uh, I'm happy to say that I'm farming with my dad again, um, because after being in Washington, D.C., I do know how to, how to muck around in boots through some really ugly, swampy things. Um, and so it's, it's great to be back on the farm and have that mentality uh, and have that, that groundedness again, and to be back in my community and serving my community on the direct level. And so to be a part of this and take on this position, what I've so appreciated about it is it really is about... Um, and I think it's incredible. And I, I, I don't know how to really tell you how absolutely in awe I am of this idea that this is about contributing to the solution. Um, the idea that you're gonna bring someone on board whose sole focus is to help anybody and everybody, uh, however possible, uh, regardless of where or what or who or Stripe or, or political affiliation or geography. Um, this is about an incredible moment in leadership for our industry and for your industry. And I have to commend you all for taking that step forward and saying, we're gonna be about contributing to the overall water solutions for the state. Um, and with that requires and commands respect and leadership. Uh, and I think, um, I think I'm just very excited to be a part of that. Very honored that uh, I can bring those skills to the table 
and look very much forward to working with all of you as we work through this. Um, it's, it's so easy to get down in the dumps. I totally get it, um, like I said at the beginning, but um, what I find so amazing here is this is about defining our future um, and taking opportunity and creating opportunity to do that. Uh, I am committed to doing that with you. Um, I think it is absolutely the right attitude uh, in order to, and it, it gives me hope by knowing that that's the attitude that we're gonna take going forward. And so I look forward to, to working with all of you to taking your questions, more importantly, to partnering up. Um, I, uh, I, I know things that I need to run out and work on. I'm working with the staff, I'm working with a, a lot of partners in order to bring these relationships to bear, put the pieces together, um, you know, to, to start achieving various goals within these different aspects that I've outlined. But more importantly, I think the, the more we can communicate together, um, the more that we can partner up and start pushing and pulling in different areas, I think the more progress we're going to see, the better we're going to identify some specific goals. Uh, and we're going to start leaning forward again and really leveraging our leadership in this space um, moving forward. So thank you again. I'm going to kick it back to, to the room and um, we'll go from there. I think it's a great time to open up the floor for questions. We wanted to do a meet and greet and we want to hear from you questions, comments, concerns um, that Aubrey can start to get to work on right away. I have one. This is Stephen Mancibo. Um, good morning. Uh, I, I, I just listened to your presentation and uh, it's funny, I put my daughter researching this morning on a dairy that that I kind of identified that my places are older and I've got ice machines that are all water lubed and air cooling units now um, could get put in place of those, but it's about $150,000 to just swap the one dairy over. Um, those five ice machines we use, use 30 gallons of water per minute for each time that they're running. So, you know, you're looking at 240 gallons an hour that you could save. Um, so, so dumb things when you're talking about trying to find programs that could save water, benefit everybody, and yet let us put them to play. How do we find some of those programs? Um, as you're moving forward, I mean, and there's, that's just an example of something I was looking at this morning. Um, what else, what else is there? I mean, if you go um, open lots to free stalls, maybe you don't need a sprinkler pin to wash cows through the winter. Uh, you know, the kind of water savings that's in there. there there's, there's, Dumb little things that if, if you've got a brand new place, you probably already have those, but some of the older facilities and the things that we're working on in the state, as they move forward, a little incentivized dollars could, uh, could actually start to help our own, our own uses inside, along with helping the overall environment. Just, just some quick questions or thoughts. Yeah, no, I, I mean, more than anything, those are great thoughts. Um, so, I mean, just from a, my problem solving aspect of that is, I wanna dive in a little bit on what exactly the practices you're wanting to implement are and then immediately go start looking through what are the different programs I know and how do we maybe squint our eyes and look sideways, talk to the right technical staff and say, hey, I think we can count this as a conservation saving, or I think we can count this as blah, 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 blah under different programs. A lot of this is understanding the nuance of that and seeing what we can, um, uh, look, I'm a movie buff. If you've, if you've known me for a long time, you've known that. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's that line from, from Pirates of the Caribbean. They're more like guidelines anyway. It's not quite, uh, you know, so you read these websites and they say, well, it has to do this and it has to do that and it has to do this. You get with the right staff. They know how to make these programs work in order to achieve the goal. 
because the staff's goal is to achieve. Um, so I would start with what we know and then start identifying how do we, um, you know, do we need to make a change to a program? Do we need an amendment to a program? Are there programs that we can actually amend just by implementing and set precedent on how we interpret these programs going forward? Um, that's something that I would want to work with you personally on, see what we can figure out. I can task that out to, to different, um, uh, you know, find you and partner you up with the right entity or person that can help task this out and get this moving. But act as that mediator to help you kind of move through that and then take that information back to Cattle Council and Western United and others and say, okay, here's what we've learned. Here's really what we need to improve this program in order to hit these other practices. Um, and then leverage that information back as we inform uh, some of these programs at the higher up and policy level. So that's kind of how I would reverse engineer it, Steve. And I, 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 uh, that's one aspect of it. I think the thing that you key in on that I want to make sure of that, and through the lens that I would look through, isn't just so that we incentivize and help you get the assistance you need to make good decisions because they're the right things to do for you economically and environmentally, uh, from a water supply standpoint. But make sure. And I, I hold myself, I say this over and over again, as much for myself as anybody else. I want to make sure you get the credit for it. However, we define or quantify it. What I see happening with our industry, whether you're a row crop guy or a nut guy or anybody in agriculture right now, is there's all these practices we're going to be asked to do, all of these practices that will be seen as acceptable to achieve certain goals. And I want to make sure that we get the credit for it. This is about looking at our operations, not only for what they can produce, but what additional values we can generate and, and generate for ourselves uh, in that space. So I wanna make sure whatever practice you're doing, we can quantify it, we can identify it, and we can give ourselves credit for it. However that is, if that's a regulatory credit, if that's a financial credit, if that's a, uh, a water supply credit, that's what we're gonna wanna really work in, in um, uh, towards in that space. Yeah, I, uh, Audrey, uh, welcome aboard. And, uh, you know, it's great to uh, have someone of your experience and energy uh, join, uh, join the fight here. Um, to Steve's question, I think it is important and it takes a while to kind of get your mind around it. Uh, but Steve, uh, you know, a, a Tulare uh, dairy, uh, which is where we got a lot of them, uh, that's either in the Thule subbasin or in the Kawea subbasin, either one. Uh, your water use for purposes of, uh, of groundwater uh, sustainability compliance is going to be based on evapotranspiration uh, and satellite imagery. And so while you know you always want to use every gallon of water efficiently, the reality is, is you re, we reuse all of that water that goes through those um, cooling systems, and they become wash water, and they and they get, they don't get counted as consumption until they actually get put on a crop and evapotranspirate. So, you know, I I think what Audrey's describing, which is to broaden out definitions and go after, you know. Uh, uh, funds to, to assist is, is absolutely true. But I think in the dairy context, a lot of what we do with water doesn't really make much of a, I mean, we reuse it so many times and it's not going to get counted as actually being consumed uh, until it actually gets consumed by a plant. 
So it, it's important. It's a little difficult to get our minds around that, but you know, because historically we've always thought of you know meters on wells and and application of water, but that's not the way these GSAs, particularly in uh, the Thule subbasin and the Kauia subbasin, are going to be calculating. And neither uh, also the Madeira and Chowchilla uh, subbasins. Uh, that's not the way they're going to be calculating your consumption of water. I think that what we just saw, and it is exciting, um, the, the question Stephen asked of Aubrey, uh, juxtaposition with Jeff's knowledge base on the subject. We've learned so much and we have so far to go. And just in the last month of Aubrey digging through files and programs, we found a lot of gray areas that I think have been underutilized and underimagined in this space. And so we're working hard to make sure we put the full scope of our imagination to what we can fund for something simple like new ice machines. Well, Other I, comments? I can't, sorry, real quick. I just can't thank Jeff enough for, I mean, you know, uh, the master on the GSA side, his experience and knowledge on the ground of that. And Jeff, you and I have been, you know, talking about how each of us brings something to the table here for the broader community. And I think just this last dialogue is, is a really great example of, okay, you know, what's the nexus between the on-farm? What's the different things, you know, we need to make sure we're accounting for? How does that work up against the Sigma goals going forward? It is gonna be about how we find these puzzle pieces and make them work. Um, and, you know, what are the puzzle pieces we'll cut ourselves? Uh, that's, that's always gonna be my attitude. Um, but knowing uh, what are the baselines we have to achieve and then finding those opportunities in that. So it's a, it's a great partnership already. Are there other comments and questions and just thoughts for Aubrey? Anything you guys would love to see her start working on that we might not have touched on? Um, this is Steve Mancibo again. Uh, the water's great. Airs our other issue, and I'm taking it you're going to be playing with that a little on, on the side some also. Um, a lot of dairies have started putting in, or have for quite a while, had solar farms and different things, and, and you got cap and trade and air credits. I've just recently heard of a few dairies starting to actually be able to um, um, sell some of those air credits or, or lease them out. Um, I, I don't know if you guys work forward on this, but it'd be nice that the dairy industry kind of had a plan moving forward of how we melt, um, shared those maybe within our own industry, our own processing plants, if they've got to go back and forth. Um, I personally wouldn't want to necessarily sell my air credits because I think that's how we're going to get to our, our goal someday. We might need those credits back on farm for some other things, but do, do you got a feel or, or are you watching that at Harry also and um, like I said, not only just working with our dairymen in particular, but our whole industry from our, from our plants to our transportation, um, everybody's got to be able to, to be on board. And when on the farm, we can give back a little bit or find ways to, to, uh, cut down on pollution. Um, if we can share those through the industry, um, I was hoping, you know, <laughs> as much as I'm worried about being a dairyman, I'm worried about the whole industry all the way forward. So I, I hope going forward, we, we keep that in mind too. 
Yeah, I mean, Anya, you can jump in or anyone else. Um, the the air side, uh, <laughs> water and air, they're just, they're just gifts that keep on giving. Um, but uh, I, um, I do have experience and a lot of, and I'm exploring a lot of ideas within that, I, you know, within that area of, and I don't want to scare anybody, but really trying to explore how are the ways that we can um, ascribe value to all aspects of our, of our industry and resource. And I think that's exactly what you're hitting on, on this idea of credits. Um, I, I have some experience uh, with partners all over the country dealing with market structures, um, trading aspects. How do we do that? Uh, you know, the idea of, of um, self-certifying or setting up our own structures. Always, as we explore these options, I hate to get macro on you, but I'm going to jump macro and I'll jump back down. Always within these structures when we're exploring them, there's a couple of things that I, I have kind of just personal tenants about. Um, one, uh, uh, you don't want government creating it for you. <laughs> so whatever we do, I want to position industry to define its structures, define its markets, define its, its uh, values uh, and rules and get government to react to us. So as we explore these options of what you're talking about, some of it's already been established, but I think there's still a lot of gray area in there that we can work with. Um, and as we look at, again, ascribing value to every aspect of our industry, because I think that is long-term, thinking long-term of our industry overall, how do we get ourselves more value out of the resources we have? Um, you know, uh, that is, um, that's really where I'm, I'm trying to come back to. And so I, I do, I do want to explore some of these options. I'm really glad to hear that you're open to exploring these options. Um, I would want to do it in a way where we're definitely defining it for ourselves um, and, and working from there. The reality of it is we see the trend and where it's going. And the, the luxury of being a Californian is we usually see the trend and where it's going on any environmental policy a decade before anybody else. And so I think where we have an advantage is to... Uh, um, you know, we know full well that a lot of the goals that both the left and the right are, you know, and the right is starting to come along in a lot of these spaces um, that they want to achieve cannot be achieved without the resources that we as farmers, ranchers, and dairymen are the masters of. And so it's how do we, again, quantify, ascribe value, and get them to react to how they need us. And I think that's, that's where you're headed, and that's something that I definitely want to explore more of. Are there other questions or comments and engagement for Aubrey? Well, um, we will make sure that Aubrey's phone number and email are massively available. I think that just like most of the roles our trade groups serve, we don't know we have a problem till we know we have one. And so that's when we start looking for phone numbers. Um, but generally I'm very excited and pleased to be working with Aubrey. I'm really thankful everyone decided to join us on the call. If you'd like to do some follow-up one-on-one with Aubrey, she's always available to do that. But uh, I think it was a great introduction and I hope everyone has a wonderful day and a wonderful weekend. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Thanks for putting this on. Hey, thanks everybody. Please do reach out anytime. Mm -hmm.
Did you know that you can turn your dairy manure into cash? Bennett Environmental is offering above-ground dairy digesters at no cost to you. These systems can also remove nitrates from your lagoons to help you comply with water board regulations. Our proven above-ground technology will generate income for your dairy into the foreseeable future. Because we truck the renewable natural gas off-site, your dairy can profit regardless of your location. Bennett Environmental, turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at bennett-environmental.com. All right. Well, as we wrap up this week's episode, like we mentioned before, we've been juggling some vacations, deadlines, and holidays. But again, we're back in action this week. We have some things that you can be looking out for in the upcoming episodes. That includes the NRCS deadline for equip for drought drought webinars, and again, remember the heat advisory. Yeah, and we're going to have a really action-packed um, weekly update this week, so look for that to hit your mailboxes on Tuesday. There's a lot going on. As Darby mentioned, that NRCS deadline is this Monday, so if you haven't called NRCS, do it today. Um, it's kind of a fast deadline, so I'm not sure what's going to happen with that. Um, I'd like to see it extended, but I don't think that's going to happen. So call your NRCS office and um, check out our drought webinar, which features some speakers from USDA next week. And if you're still listening, I want to put a plug in. We do have our upcoming Dairy Leaders program deadline approaching us in August. If you have any questions about the program, are interested in being involved, you can check out our website. There's a link there. You can also give me a call or shoot me an email and I'd be happy to chat with you about it. Yeah, that's shaping up to be a fun program this year. I'm a little jealous that I can't circle back into it again, Darby, but I think you guys are going to have a lot of fun and learn a lot. With that, a huge thanks to Tiffany and Anya for joining us for today's episode, as well as our webinar participants, Aubrey Betancourt, Anya Radabaugh, and the team from the Cattle Council, including Justin Oldfield. Please remember to reach out to us with questions, comments, and content requests. And Darby, how can folks get a hold of us? They can get a hold of us at our um, podcast email, which is wud.pod at gmail.com. They can reach you at M-L-E-M-A at WUDairies.com. And I can be reached at D-A-R-B-Y at WUDairies.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform and stay cool. Have a great week, everybody. While West United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, Please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the Western United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies generous business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com.